This is the Innovation Engine Podcast. Since 2014, we've been bringing you talks with some of the world's leading authorities on innovation. Topics we cover include emerging trends and technologies, corporate leadership, company culture, and more. Coming to you from Three Pillar Global's headquarters in Fairfax, Virginia, here's your host, Will Sherlin. Welcome back to the Innovation Engine Podcast. On this week's episode, we'll be looking at the seventh sense, how Howard Schultz tapped into it to start a little coffee empire called Starbucks, the four elements that are necessary for the seventh sense to swing into effect, and the importance presence of mind plays in harnessing one's seventh sense. Here with us today to discuss all that and more is William Duggan of Columbia University. Professor Duggan is the author of three recent books on innovation, including The Seventh Sense, How Flashes of Insight Change Your Life. He's also the author of Creative Strategy, A Guide for Innovation, and Strategic Intuition, The Creative Spark in Human Achievement, which was named Best Strategy Book of the Year in 2007 by the journal Strategy and Business. Welcome to the podcast, Professor Duggan. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. It's our pleasure to have you. So let's kick things off today talking about your latest book, The Seventh Sense. So I think we're all familiar with the sixth sense of intuition. How do you define what you call the seventh sense? First of all, why sense? Sense is really the human brain in action (laughs) when you make sense of things. And even the five senses, the physical senses, are brain functions in the sense of sensation is something hits your nose, but sense is, oh, I smelled a rose. Um, So you make sense of even your sensations through the memory of the brain. If you've never smelled a rose before, it remains a sensation. So in a sense, notice the reuse of the word sense, (laughs) uh, (laughs) sense is the brain's memory putting things together, either physical or in the case of uh, intuition, it's putting things together that you've already experienced in some way. So the simplest way to say it is that it really is deja vu. When you walk into a room and you say, you know, I've been here before, I just had a flash of deja vu, that means you have walked into a similar room at some time in your life that really was similar in some way, and it's so far back in your memory or experience, you can't remember exactly what room, and that makes it seem very mysterious. The seventh sense is, again, it's still on the continuum of it's a brain function of memory, but it's where you have new ideas in new situations. And this is really humans' greatest uh, uh, ability, which is to create new things in new situations. That's why we're no longer living in caves. And the seventh sense is that mechanism that does that, which is a slower mechanism than, oh, I've seen this before, deja vu. It's slower in that different combinations of memories come together in a new in a new idea. 
that's the seventh sense. Yeah, but in in some ways it's it's kind of faster too, right? You write in the book a lot about like the what seems to be a flash of insight. Well, yeah, so it, so it appears as a flash of insight, but it appears as a flash of insight in really all the time. I mean, sort of the bigger flashes of insight people recognize. But if you walk into a new situation, uh, your expert, in, your I'm sorry, your seven sense is working. Mm-hmm. Right? You walk into a new a train station you've never been before. Right? What are you going to do? You don't know where to go. Right? Oh, I see. I see these people going that way. Okay. Well, you know, now I, that's in my memory because even if it was only a second ago, that's in your memory. I'm going to imitate them. Yeah, follow that. That's the a flash of insight where you pause and say, "Oh, where should I go?" Oh, I saw. I'll go that way. You just had a mini flash of insight of the seventh sense. It's not a very new situation. It's not a very new idea. But for you, it's a new idea to go in that direction and follow those people. Yeah, <laughs> You've never done it before. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, in in the book, you write about the four elements that Clausewitz outlined that are necessary for that seventh sense to swing into effect. So, can you share with listeners what those four elements are? So, even though neuroscience is very new in pinning down what I'm describing, certainly human beings haven't changed. Their brains haven't changed in a long, long time. So, of course, in philosophy and classical literature and you know, sort of pre, pre-modern science, people have noticed this and have tried to describe it. So the greatest work of strategy still today in the English, I'm sorry, in the Western world, translated into English from the German, is a book called On War by Karl von Clausewitz. This is well known in the strategy circles and especially the military circles, because of course that's where strategy came from. Uh, he gives his answer to how generals get their ideas. And the four steps are, number one is examples from history. Now, this is, in modern terms, this is memory of events, not necessarily events that you experienced. So if you read about somebody doing something, that is in your mind as a memory of an event that someone else did. That's, in Clausewitz's terms, those are examples from history. And the sum total of those, which you've actually been gathering your entire life, is the sum total of the examples you can draw from to have this flash of insight. Some of these examples come from things you read years ago, or it includes your own experience, because that's an event as well. But that's just a subset of much wider things you've learned of other people's experience as well. Or it could be something you read about this morning. Or it could be something you're seeing right now that you know, in 10 seconds later connects in your mind to something else. But those 10 seconds is still an active memory. It's your memory working. Um, so the first step is examples from history, in a sense, the storehouse of possibilities that you can combine. Second step is called presence of mind, where your mind is clear. Right? So where you pause and you just let your mind clear. Sometimes it happens naturally and that's good, or there are techniques for clearing your mind, because what's going to happen next is the third step is the flash of insight, which is a new set of connections that seems somewhat random. In other words, your brain has done the work. You haven't concentrated on making connections. You have suspended all thought. 
even if it's only for a few seconds, and your brain now fills it in with new connections. So that's the third step, the flash of insight. The fourth step is very interesting, is called resolution by Clausewitz. Um, and this is where you want to take action. In other words, it becomes an emotional event. You say, oh, yeah, let me do that. That's great. I'll do it. I want to do it. And this is where the, the enthusiasm and the determination comes from when people work hard to implement their ideas. Yeah, and, and you write about Starbucks founder Howard Schultz a good bit in the book. He experienced one life-changing event that led him to lay everything on the line and eventually build the franchise that is Starbucks. So can you talk a little bit about what happened to him on a trip to Milan that paved the way for one of the greatest success stories in American business? So this is a wonderful example, mostly because he wrote a book where he says what he was thinking. Now, these flashes of insight, these kinds of sort of new combinations that give people new ideas happen a lot, but they're, most of them are lost to history, mostly because it's a momentary, it's a moment in your mind, right? And then you set out to implement it, and of course the implementation has all these action steps that you can describe and people loved, you know, action stories. It's very rare for someone to give blow by blow by blow, what were they thinking when they had the idea? And that's what Howard Schultz does. And that's really why he's such a great example. Um, so what happened was he was working for Starbucks, which was a uh, coffee, high-quality coffee company with six branches in the uh, Seattle area. And they, it's the kind of old-fashioned coffee shop where you'd walk in, fill a paper bag from a big vat and go home and grind your own coffee and make it at home. Um, uh, it might be hard to believe, but they didn't serve drinks <laughs> at all. <laughs> uh, they sold the beans. So he went to Milan on a business trip for uh, sort of store furniture, I guess is the easiest way to call it, you know, how you, uh, how you display your goods. And um, it was in Milan, Italy, luckily. He'd never been there before. Um, he was staying downtown in Milan, in Center City, and he walked to the conference, which was also downtown, and he saw an Italian espresso bar, which he'd never seen before. I also think, I think he'd never seen an espresso machine before. They really existed in the United States, so the Italian coffee bar did exist in, a, in Little Italy's, like across the United States. There'd be one cafe somewhere. Uh, in New York, there'd be a few of them, each owned by a different person, of course. And I don't think he'd ever experienced that. So what he describes very, very eloquently is that he goes in, he loves it, he sees the barista in action, he sees people talking, uh, the coffee's fantastic. Uh, opera's playing, he says, this is really wonderful. And then he says, and I quote, my mind started churning. Well, what's going on is that his brain now is sort of wandering, making new connections. And he then goes to the conference, and then on the way home, he does the same thing. He stops in a few of these coffee bars. He, he, he's observant. He sees all the elements of what they do, and then he has what he calls an, an epiphany. Uh, revelation. He uses these words where he sees that this is what the Starbucks chain back home should do. They should basically what came together in his mind was the Starbucks chain and um, this Italian coffee bar. Uh, 
And that's the start of Starbucks. And what's very important is that he immediately had the idea of a chain because Starbucks was already a chain, a very small one. Right? So he didn't say, oh, I want to go and start a coffee bar. No, I see a coffee chain of this kind of coffee served with baristas and a place to gather. And that's what came together in his mind, and that's what he did. Of course, it changed tremendously over time. Uh, you know, it doesn't seem very Italian now. Um, but the original idea was there in this unique combination. And then, of course, you know, innovation is lots of work as well. But it starts with an idea. Yeah, definitely. What's well, it's worked out okay for Howard Schultz and uh, and Starbucks to this point. Yep. Um, but so so let me ask about something you touched on right at the very end of that answer. Uh, uh, the idea that there is a lot of work involved in innovation because many guests that we've had on the podcast have emphasized that su- innovating successfully requires a lot of work to refine an idea and isn't just the result of a spark of genius. So your book focuses more on the former, uh, or I'm sorry, more on the latter. I'm curious, did you get a lot of pushback about this from others in academia or the innovation space when the book first came out? Um, uh, No, because no one else concentrates on the moment of getting the idea. So nobody disagrees. (laughs) (laughs) What they'll say is, oh, no, no, you know, that's not the whole story. To which I say, absolutely, that's not the whole story. Yeah. <laughs> I agree 100%. Uh, so actually, uh, Edison, of all people, who was one of the great combiners in history, you know, historians now think he never actually invented anything himself. He just kept putting together combinations of what other people had already figured out. He has a wonderful quote, genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. Yeah. Great. 99% perspiration, absolutely. I have nothing to say about that other than good luck. You know, and lots of other people have lots of good advice about that. You know, I'm not saying it's just luck. You know, there's lots of good wisdom about that and good experience. That's not what I do. I do the 1% inspiration. How do you get a good idea? Yeah, definitely. Well, one of the things that you, that you write about being important to really coming up with those good ideas is presence of mind. And you write about that being a necessity in order to make those connections that are necessary for flashes of insight. So how does presence of mind come in handy at each stage of the thought process that leads to innovation? It really is the prelude to the flash of insight. And this actually, again, thanks to neuroscience, they can now describe sort of biologically, you know, the biological state of presence of mind and then the flash of insight, the actual brain function of those two. So it's, you know, modern science confirms this. Um, The presence of mind is, it's sort of counter uh, to what you might think. It's that, yes, you can discipline your mind not to think. (laughs) That's that's the idea. Because it's a state where you're not thinking. Or you're 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 not thinking much, or you're letting your mind you're letting you're thinking without concentration, where your mind is really wandering, without emotion and without focus. Um, daydreaming is an example of it. Uh, sleep tends to promote presence of mind as well. It's a, it's a it's a form of sleep. You know, daydreaming is a f- really a form of waking sleeping, um, and. This is this is much less controversial these days uh, in the Western world because, of course, meditation has uh, become a mainstream idea, and that sort of the the discipline of meditation definitely increases your presence of mind. I mean, mindfulness 
is a form of presence of mind. Um, sort of actually mindfulness is it, oddly mindfulness is used in two to mean two opposite things. It can mean you're mindful of what you're doing, meaning you're really concentrating on what you're doing. Some people use mindfulness to mean that I'm just focusing on what I'm, you know, focusing on. I'm not, my mind isn't wandering to other things. Mm-hmm. I'm mindful of what I'm doing. Or they'll also use it as my mind is completely empty and that's mindful too. I'm talking about mindful as the clear, empty mind. Yeah. Which, of course, keys to make new connections. If you're concentrating, you're making connections you already see. Yeah, so the, I guess the idea is kind of like an effortless, deep focus or concentration on uh, on, on your thoughts or, or uh, kind of sparking that creativity. Something yeah, and, that... And, uh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it sounds similar to what uh, Mihaly, uh, and I can never pronounce his last name, but what he writes about in Flow. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, so, so Flow actually is, so, so, he, so <laughs> Flow can be either one. All of this comes really from Zen philosophy. So Flow can either, Flow can be mindful, you know, I'm in the zone of, you know, like a basketball player or a, or someone working really hard on something peacefully and then really in the zone of, of effort, that's flow. But flow is also, you know, I'm walking in the park, my mind is free, letting thoughts flow in and out. You know, so even the idea of flow is exactly has this these two contradictory, I mean, contradictory not in a negative sense, these two poles of, of mindfulness. Sure. So, so let me ask a little bit about creativity. You write in the book about the difference between shallow creativity, which uses your sixth sense, and a deeper kind of creativity, which relies on the seventh sense. So can you talk, uh, or, or what is shallow creativity, and what's the difference between the two? So as I researched this, what I found is that 99.99% of creative methods, methods of innovation, methods of creative thinking predate this uh, neuroscience that I'm describing of how creative thoughts actually happen. Um, And 99.99% of them are therefore based on the previous model of the brain, which is the right side of the brain is creative. And the theory of creativity is therefore in this old model is therefore creative ideas come spontaneously from the right side of the brain. And that is the basis of brainstorming. Brainstorming is okay. Everybody toss out ideas and you, you know, the spontaneity of it is supposed to say, well, your right brain is, you know, naturally creative and therefore is tossing out these creative thoughts. Um, If you look carefully at, other methods of creativity, again, the 99.99%, after some kind of analysis or research or study, you then brainstorm. You toss out ideas. And then you do some kind of prototyping or planning or verification or focus group. But the moment to get the idea is a form of brainstorming, meaning toss out ideas. Now, brainstorming works a lot of the time because it's drawing on the sixth sense the experience of the people in the room, right? Uh, so if I ask you quick, throw out an idea, it's going to come from something you've done or seen very recently. It's either very recent experience, uh, very recent learning, or 
your own personal experience. And, you know, if you have 10 people in the room who are very experienced, um, you know, there, there's lots of problems you can solve. So that's what I call shallow creativity. Um, right, good ideas. Really, that's great. But, and actually, honestly, in the world, when, you're, when people brainstorm, very rarely do they really want an innovation. They just want a good idea. And that's fine. So that's the shallow creativity. The deep creativity is, you know, you're walking home from that, <laughs> right? You're thinking about it. You're falling asleep and you say, you know, oh, I see. You know, this thing I read about four years ago that I thought was interesting about what they did in Spain. You know, that's really what we need. That's the flash of insight. That's the seven sense. Right? It's where your brain is reaching much deeper into unconnected corners of your memory right? to find very unusual and new connections. There's no way you were going to think of that in a two-hour brainstorming session or even when somebody asks. Quick, what's your idea? I don't know. Well, this you're not going to reach back into the far chambers of your of your memory in those quick sessions. So the deep creativity is reaching all the corners of your brain, which takes time and relaxation and can't be done in a meeting. Yeah. And and so do you have any recommendations for how people can put themselves into that state more often? I don't know. That sounds like maybe a weird way to ask it but, and like a, no, a, overly I'm, mystical, but any recommendations? Well, so here's a very simple one uh, in day-to-day work. Um, one is if you're working on something that you've done before, it's a report or some kind of project that you've done similar things before, go ahead and work till midnight because you're drawing on your expertise and you don't really need new ideas. <laughs> All right? So go ahead and work hard. That's great. Work till midnight. Work till it's done. That's great. But if you're working on something where you need a new idea, don't work till midnight. You're only going to tire your brain out. A tired brain doesn't search. <laughs> um, so what you do is you, you know, talk to other people, research, find see if you can find similar you know, examples elsewhere in the world. Google's a great tool for that. And then go home a regular time. Let your brain relax. Go to sleep at a normal time. Do some relaxing activity. Take a shower. Chances are by the next morning, your chances of getting a good idea are going to be much greater than if you knocked yourself out. Right? So make time where your brain is relaxed is the number one. Uh, thing you can do, but you don't have to do it all the time because you don't always need a good idea. I think it's no surprise, it's no accident that Howard Schultz was really relaxed sitting there in that wonderful, standing there in that wonderful Italian coffee bar. He was really happy and relaxed. So his mind, you know, made the connections. Imagine if he had been sitting there saying, okay, let me study the furniture, you know, the the installation furniture here because that's what the conference is about. And I'm going to, you know, get out my checklist and check to see what they've done that, you know, we might use to display our beans. And, you know, his brain isn't going to come up with a new combination in that activity. Yeah. So you, you, you just mentioned being in kind of a positive, relaxed state of mind. 
Negative emotions like stress, anxiety, and fear can be big inhibitors to achieving presence of mind. So you have a method called Free Your Mind that you write about. Can you talk a little bit about what that entails? Yeah, so that's a very good question because really what, uh, what clouds your mind, what occupies your mind is really two things, the task you're doing or negative emotions. And this happens a lot more than is obvious to other people, but you know, each person knows themselves how often they're dwelling on something negative or some future worry or some past sorrow. These are the technical terms, some past thing that happened that bothers you or some thing in the future that bothers you. And you might say, oh, I have a current thing that bothers you. No, you don't. The current moment is, you know, just a millisecond. You're thinking that in the future, tomorrow, something bad is going to happen. Right? Let's say, oh, no, you say, oh, you know, no, my current work situation is bad. No, no, you're anticipating Monday something bad happening. That's the future. Um, and these things occupy people's minds. So uh, sort of technically, the technical problem here is that uh, not only are you, is your brain or your thoughts focusing on that, Negative emotions release a hormone in your brain called cortisol, which blocks memory. Now, you know, there used to be a good reason for that in you know, ancient times of human beings, but uh, blocking memory by cortisol means you're not going to get a new idea to solve the problem, by definition, because all ideas come from memory, right? A thought that you're drawing on that you had somewhere in the, in the recesses of your memory. And negative emotions block that. So <clears throat> for your mind is, uh, is, a, is a technique that has a few somewhat elaborate steps, but each step is simple, um, where you say to yourself, well, so what's my negative emotion? My negative emotion is either a fear of something in the future or something bad happened in the past that I keep worrying about. You identify what it is and you say, well, um, all negative emotions are a result of not getting what you want, meaning there's something in the past I wanted to happen that didn't happen or something in the future I anticipate is going to happen that I don't want to happen. <laughs> um, it's not getting what you want. So you say to yourself, okay, well, how much of that is impossible, meaning I'm wanting something that I can't, it's just impossible to get, or what part of it is something I can do something about? Right away as you do that, the cortisol fades away and you're now thinking. Right? You've changed stress to strategy. You're now strategizing about the problem. And even if you don't come up with a good idea of what to do, strategizing about it is a mental function that's healthy and drains away the cortisol. And the other benefit might be that you actually do get an idea. So that's the free your mind exercise. It's in a sense, it's beyond meditation because meditation is clearing your mind. This is a series of thoughts that are strategic rather than uh, emotional. But again, this is not suppressing your emotions because positive emotions are good. Yeah, and, and you mentioned coming up with ideas there toward the end of that last answer. You also introduced toward the end of the book a concept called idea networking. What is idea networking and how does one go about putting it into practice? This is 
um, based on <laughs> the, the problem of the seventh sense, which is that what if Howard Schultz didn't go to Milan? What if the conference had been in some other city, not even Italy? He wouldn't have had the idea. So these unforeseen circumstances determine a lot of the ideas you have and the life you live. So how do you put yourself in a position to encounter the opportunity to have the idea? <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's, a, you know, it's a real puzzle. And the answer is, or, or a, a, a tool that can help, I wouldn't call it the answer, a tool that can help is a way of saying, well, where generally might I want to get opportunity? What am I interested in? Where would I like to, let's say, get a job? or, you know, uh, find someone who's working on something I'm interested in. Um, idea networking means that you're pursuing the idea. You're not pursuing a job. You're not pursuing contacts. You're not making friends. You're pursuing the idea. So you say, okay, um, uh, who can I, I'm interested in this interesting puzzle in this field. And you can have different fields and different puzzles because people can have many interests. And you say, okay, let me find somebody who's interested in that, <laughs> who has something to say about it, who's some kind of expert or thinks they are, who I genuinely would benefit from talking to. And it's really quite amazing if you ask somebody, uh, and you can do this by phone, email, or in person, excuse me, I understand you know quite a lot about X. Would you mind if I ask you some questions about it? Because I'd like to learn more about it. People are genuinely delighted that you are praising them and they're interested in their ideas. So you ask them, they tell you their thoughts. And at the end, you say, that was really great. I don't want to take up more of your time. Anybody else I can talk to about this. So as you see, that person then puts you in touch with someone else and you ask the same thing and you're not looking for a job. You're not looking for contacts. You're not making friends. But you're learning a lot about the idea and demonstrating to a lot of people involved in the idea that you have lots of ideas on this idea. <laughs> So that's where at some point the chances are good you will run into someone who does have a job in this field for you or is looking for someone like you in some way. And it's just a much higher percentage of finding opportunities relevant to you than randomly, you know, networking with as many people as you can. Yeah, definitely. And if all else fails, go to Milan. Right. <laughs> well, I'd recommend going to Milan anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, nice. Well, uh, Professor Duggan, that's a great note to close on. Thank you so much for, uh, for coming on today to talk about the seventh sense. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. If you're interested in learning more about the seventh sense, you can find it on Amazon and on the Columbia University Press website. Don't forget to tune into the next episode of the podcast when we're excited to welcome Three Pillars' Chris Graham back to talk about streaming analytics and innovation, why the next generation of big data involves having the capacity to react to events in real time, what that looks like for companies in the media and entertainment space, and much more. Thanks very much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. The Innovation Engine podcast is recorded, edited, and produced by Three Pillar Global, a software development services and consulting company based in Fairfax, Virginia. 
If you haven't already, you can subscribe to receive episodes via iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio. You can also download the Innovation Engine's very own iOS app from the iTunes App Store. It was made in-house here at Three Pillar Global, and it houses every single episode of the podcast. A new version of it will be out in the App Store soon, so keep your eyes peeled for that. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time.